Sometimes a club's champions are not on the field winning premierships. We benefit from the support of over 200 volunteers who apply their skills and enthusiasm across the many roles needed to deliver and support our programs. Welcome to the Camberwell Hockey Podcast. This week, Mish is back speaking with Phil Everest, one of our great volunteers who started supporting his son Tim and juniors before volunteering in many roles and taking up hockey himself in our Summer Masters. You'll hear Phil speak quite candidly about his battles with leukemia, and I'm really pleased to say that everything continues to go well, and we wish Phil the best of health going forward. Here are Hamish Ridland and Phil Everest. Welcome to the next edition of the Campbell Hockey Club podcast. Got a special guest tonight, which is Phil Everest, who's a parent and a former committee member. He's a player and a very passionate supporter of Campbell. Like many of our members, Phil did not come to hockey from a hockey background, but through his initial interest as a parent, he's found his way to engage on the club at, at many levels. And this is not atypical for many of the members at Camberwell, and it's certainly a strength of the club. This is his story. Thanks for joining us, Phil. Pleasure. So tell us, um, how, how, how did you find your way to Camberwell? Son Tim came home from primary school one day, and probably pretty unusually for him, he said he wanted to try hockey. So I'd driven past that lock and came home think, thinking that was something he wanted to have a, a go at. That's how it all started. Minky still in those days or was it hooking to hockey? No, he, he started at um, upper age under 11. So he sort of missed the early early stages and, and probably came in a little bit later than lots of the ones these days, lots of the kids, but started under 11. Just some of his friends were playing or what was what was the hook to get him in? Well, I was asking him that the other day and it, we thought it was one of his friends who wanted to try it and he wanted to follow him down. But no, he just had seen the sport and thought, maybe that's for me. Yeah, it's his own initiative, really. Yeah, because I was wondering whether there was any other family backgrounds that was just, just, just of interest of Tim. Well, that's basically it. We did have a link to the hockey club through neighbours and friends of ours, um, Charlie Morley. So we did know about the club and I did actually visit it once to watch Colin Morley and Wayne Thornton smash Footscray 18-0 one day. But um, that was the only time I ever went down there. That was back in the day of Cinders. Um, but, yeah, really. On the red, on the red, yeah. On the red. But uh, really, I knew about the club but didn't know much about hockey. And so you, you played football and a range of other sports. Where did your sort of major sporting passions lie? Generally through school it was football and cricket. After school, I played amateur football for four years and it got difficult to get to training with when I first started working full-time. But I played a lot, you know, a fair bit of tennis at that stage too. So until Tim was born, I was probably playing tennis, a bit of indoor cricket, a bit of basketball, a bit of volleyball, a bit of everything, and sort of jack of a few trades and master of none. So that was probably another reason that hockey came about. I hadn't specialised. And so, yeah, so you took up hockey as a as an adult, and and so what what led you to to actually uh, playing yourself? Well, I suppose spectating with the the juniors, and and occasionally the oh, quite regularly, Tim would drag me down to watch some of his coaches play in Premier League. But one one day in particular, I think there was a bit of a recruiting drive going on with Jim Forsyth somewhere behind the scenes, and and another primary school parent, Dave Tadgell tapped me on the shoulder and basically said, do you want to play hockey? And I didn't say no, and I ended up in a team in that summer. That's, yeah, I think that was 2005 to six, actually. 
So about 15 years ago? Yeah, pretty much 15 years ago, maybe 14. Yeah, 14 years ago, I think. And uh, how did you find, I mean, it's acquiring new skills as, you know, as an adult, it's it's a bit different to when you're taking sport up when you're a, a young fella. So how, how did you find transitioning into to hockey given your previous sporting background? And not that easy. I mean, I've, I've still don't think I've got any skills whatsoever other than maybe getting in the way. Um, but um, <laughs> I can be useful to defend <laughs> Well, that's the where the people have hidden me ever since, other than the first season I played a bit at left wing. Um, but yeah, look, I, you know, I can sort of get in the way and maybe do the odd tackle, but the stick skills itself are pretty basic and uh, yeah, just try and get the ball and get get rid of it to one of my teammates as quickly as I can rather than try and run with it. So I'd say skills are certainly lacking, but um, enthusiasm isn't. Yeah, taking something up new that you're not necessarily, you know, a master at uh, straight away. So it would have been easy to sort of, you know, play a year or two and just chalk that up to experience and things. What was the key for you just to stay involved and keep playing 15 years later? Camaraderie, really, amongst the, the group. Sort of a great bunch of people and that was probably um, an active type of activity similar to a men's shed in some ways. That we're all out there having a bit of a run around, which I enjoy, and um, you know, chasing a ball, which I always enjoyed. But just the camaraderie and, and the, the feel around the club was probably why I've stayed involved. From the game, like, you know, uh, what, what's been the most sort of challenging thing to, like, skill to pick up? Is it it's been hitting and trapping or oh, look, tomahawks? What's the... Yeah, I haven't tried too many tomahawks. <laughs> it's probably, I mean, the trapping and hitting I sort of found okay. It's probably just, you know, running with the ball for those sorts of skills. Like I don't dare go into a, a tackle holding onto the ball. I'm trying to get rid of it either onto a foot or pass it off before I, I get challenged in any way because I just don't think I've got enough tricks and... Um, most of the guys could pick me off pretty easily, I would have thought. I think, um, I mean, I've, I've certainly enjoyed playing with Dad in the last couple of seasons, and I played uh, one game with you in the Acorn side and I uh, came with big raps and we, we, we got soundly beaten <laughs> <laughs> in that first game. Yeah. <laughs> we, we, do have, we do have our ups and downs of the Acorns. That's right. Has it, has it always been the Acorns team? Have you, have you spread the love across a few teams? Pretty much always been Acorns in the summer. Um, obviously, winters, you, you get more graded into the sort of grades that you truly belong. But um, the Acorns has been a, a fantastic group of people to play with over time. Yeah, yeah. been fairly stayed, uh, stable as well as a group, which has been good. We're just all getting too old for... The youngies that have come down and started playing at 35, we um, yeah, struggle with, <laughs> struggle with, with them. But um, you know, it's good fun still. Well, I think that's one of the good things. I think um, everyone's, all the teams are relatively balanced, and there's the draft system that the wise heads pour over and debate about what's fair and what's not. And Wansey has um, the Hollywood team and everything like that, and and all the all that goes with it. But I guess you would have played with a few pretty handy hockey players uh, with the Acorns, and who stood out that you've enjoyed playing with from a from a hockey perspective? Well, look, obviously, I've got to say Owen. Um, uh, <laughs> if I'm going to get picked next year, um, James Watson, Al. Um, with this cack-handed approach. I mean, that was always mind-boggling to me oh, yeah. in terms of watching him play. But you know, Jamie Watson and Scotty Grimshaw, just sort of some of the notable ones that come to mind pretty quickly. And then, you know, there's a few younger guys that are able to, to run pretty well. So 
they've certainly helped our our cause in recent times. And against obviously, you know, when you've got people like Wansi out there or yourself or some of the other young ones, it changes yeah. <laughs> changes the dynamic pretty quickly, the cashmere's, et cetera. Yeah, there's certainly some great hockey players that have, have played. I think it's it's great that um, people keep playing. I better say the Prez too, Simon Winter. He's, uh, yes, he's well, he's handy. <laughs> all that Pilates he's been doing, he's looking very nimble lately, isn't he? He yeah. is. <laughs> and then a year or so into into playing, you you had, I suppose the the first episode of um, of leukemia, and life took a different turn. Yeah. What year was that when you were first diagnosed? Yeah, I remember it pretty vividly. So it was the Friday of Melbourne Cup week, so in two thousand and eight. Um, mm. It certainly, well, it certainly heightens your um, awareness about what you're doing and what you have energy for and um, what's important in your life, there's no doubt. I suppose it must have been difficult when the doctor gave you the diagnosis. What was what was initially going through your mind when he dropped, you know, he said the C word? Yeah, look, it was interesting because the person who told me was a friend as well through primary school who subsequently didn't feel he could be the doctor that treated me. But it sort of, you know, I didn't know a lot about leukaemia and you're asking yourself, what does it mean? And What's the prognosis? What's the treatment? And then, you know, probably after that initial shock, you're sort of thinking, well, how the hell did that happen? Um, mm. You know, and sort of talking to the specialists afterwards, it's just, you know, sheer dumb luck. It's, mm. it's just a, um, a probability or, or something that's that's happened somewhere along the way with a, a mutation that um, didn't get mopped up by your immune system. So... Then you sort of, it happened so quickly. I was across, I never left hospital after the diagnosis, went straight across the road to Box Hill and they started the treatment. So your mind's really spinning because you just haven't had any any time to contemplate and get used to the concept and Mm. process it. Yeah. So that, now being acute myeloid leukemia, that's what the acute means. It's just rapid onset. So you're having to be treated really quickly. And, and what was the treatment um, back then uh, for yeah. you there? Was it, was it chemotherapy? Yes, it was. I did a, a trial chemotherapy it was called the ICE regime. And, um, yeah, so that I didn't even get through the first round of it before I got the things turned for the worse. So I was sort of up to the last day saying, oh, give me the, the less rest of the first dose. And they were saying, no, you're too sick. So, yeah, about then they, they carted me off to intensive care which was, um, yeah, pretty ordinary. But then I was in a coma for six weeks, so it was probably definitely, well, definitely more ordinary for the family because I wasn't really aware of a whole lot for, for a long time. Mm. It must test all your reserves to, to, to come to turn the corner and, and, and fight your way back from, from that position. Yeah, what, what, and you sort of mentioned the family. What, what's, what sort of toll did it take on the family? Oh, look, this is... I mean, it does sound pretty melodramatic, but one night the family was brought in and the police was brought in and they were saying goodbye to me. So that's a long way back from there. The die and the sisters were fantastic support for her, but Di was constantly being asked about, you know, we want your permission for this type of treatment and having to process what that was all about and take those decisions on my behalf. It's, you know, just something I'd hate to be in her shoes for that moment when 
you get a call and say, oh, we think it would be interesting to do this, you know, biopsy to your liver via your jugular through your heart. There's a few, a few risks mm-hmm. involved, you know, and that sort of stuff that was um, yep. pretty full on. So, um, yeah, look, certainly firm diet was really tough. And then, you know, look, when they did do a bit of a Hail Mary with the drug that seemed to make me turn the corner, um, then she was sort of watching me try to recover. And mm. they had no idea if I had brain damage or so for, you know, one or two weeks afterwards because I just couldn't communicate in any form. I was too weakened and I lost 30-odd kilos in, in the coma. And, um, you know, it's down to 50 kilos or so and, and then having to wow. learn to breathe and drink and eat and try and stand and all that sort of stuff again when your muscles just waste so badly. And for the kids, mm. um, you know, obviously really tough on them at that age. So they were 12 and 15. And, you know, so Isabel's at primary writing stories about this for a teacher and, mm. you know, scaring the teachers to hell. And um, Tim was would come in. Tim would come into hospital and look at all the dials and all the sort of drips and things and say, well, how come this number's changed from yesterday? And, look, he took a incredible interest in just any any tweak to the numbers or... Any signs. Yeah, any yeah. signs. Um, so, yeah, look, it took a pretty heavy toll and very fortunate to have had the next number of years I've had, really. So you sort of started to turn the corner. And so how long did the uh, recovery take out of out of intensive care? And you're obviously in hospital a good while. How, how long did it sort of take to once you started to turn the corner to, to come good? Yeah, look, I suppose it was just before Christmas when I woke up. I left hospital on the 27th of Feb. That was um, yeah, basically the rehab hospital. I sort of spent two weeks in there. But really... You know, even basic things, getting on the floor, getting off the floor, I was still trying to do those things over the next three or four months and, um, yeah, trying to just build up my capabilities and strength strength and things, yeah. So hockey was hockey was a fair way away at that stage. <laughs> a fair way away, yeah. <laughs> what was the big thing for you? Was it just step day by day, day by, you know, step yeah, by step ab- getting closer to get coming home? Was was that the big the goal at the the light at the end of the tunnel? It really was step by step and you know, basically just plod one foot in front of the other one one day after the other and and um, just sort of following the process, trusting the process. And and when you got the opportunity really, you know, like at the rehab hospital, I was doing two lots of physio a day trying to get off the bar into a frame and going from the frame to the different frame and, you know, basically starting to try and learn to climb up steps so I could get in the house at home when I got there and things like that. So, yeah, it's just pretty pretty tiring to doing the, the physio yeah. a couple of times a day. But anyway, I was pretty determined to get home. Stubborn bugger. Yeah, you got to be. So, so November through December, you know, steep decline and then you're sort of having to dig yourself out of, out of hospital in February and – and home by... Oh, I came home on the 27th of Feb, yeah. And so there's some continuing treatment, but when, when did you sort of find out that you were 
you're in sort of in the clear and and you're in, in remission. It's sort of a bit of a moving target because um, I mean you, you sort of get into remission when your bloods recover, which I think would have happened during that process in February March. But um, you know you keep on getting told after two years, well that's a good sign, and then you know five years is um, more indicative, and then you get to five years and say well, seven years is basically cure and you get to seven years say well 10 years is good and you sort of have this carrot that gets dangled (laughs) out in front of you keeps on moving (laughs) away every time you think you've got to where you needed to get yeah the remission happens fairly or happened fairly quickly once you know I wasn't able to leave hospital until I was in remission but um, there's just the constant sort of checkups to see if you're still in remission and every time you go, you're sort of thinking, am I or aren't I? But then you start to realise that you're feeling okay, you should be okay. I was going to ask, when, when, when does it sort of go from front of mind to back of mind in that, in that process and on the road to recovery? Because I, I assume it's, it's always in the back of your mind, but um, when, when does it sort of stop being in front of mind? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, I don't know if I've really ever thought about that, but, you know, it's very much your focus when you're recovering, trying to you know, use all your energy to do that and then whatever else is left over you, sort of try and look after the ones near and dear to you and sort of be positive. But um, look, I think when you start getting back to doing normal things that you sort of, you gradually lose that real focus and awareness at front of Mm -hmm. mind. But um, I don't know if I can put a date on that, to be honest. I mean, even, you know, coming back. Sort of become dad again. And back to work and those Correct. sorts of things. There are a couple of things along the way that, you know, made me realise that I wasn't quite right. And I can remember coming back and trying to play hockey the first night the following season, so the start of 2009-10. And I sort of... Summer season. Summer season, yeah. And I um, went to have a little hit up and someone just pushed the ball to me quite quietly, but, you know, about a step away from me and I you know, had all this thought process of okay just move there and and my leg didn't move you know just didn't follow what the brain was saying and I just basically fit, fell flat in my face and thought well probably not quite right yet um not quite right yet yeah so um need a preset <laughs> and then I used to run off the bench for about well it wasn't run it was thunderbird off the bench for about 15 seconds and say <laughs> call for a replacement and and Owen looked at, that was the first year I think I'd played with the Acorns and Owen sort of looked at me and thought, well, what have I got here? You know, so um, <laughs> <laughs> didn't didn't have anything for him. But um, anyway, that was great to be back. Great to be back. Yeah, I'm sure I was glad to see you back. Um, you've not only got involved as a player, but you've also got involved in administration and, you know, over the years and as Tim's gone through the ranks and in the junior um, club and then lately in also in the senior club, what sort of what sort of roles have you also um, undertaken as part of the club? Yes, yeah, so I've been a year level coordinator. I've followed through with um, hot shots. Sort of, we've been team manager for that, um, and sort of the representative stuff, um, and committee member. And that's been for four years until this latest dose, and um, and then. Yeah, so basically, club sec, the men's section secretary for those four years, and um, do a bit of video camera work for the MPL. 
Yeah, we'll we'll touch on that shortly. But uh, so, what do you see? As a, I mean, you've, you've seen this, a lot of different aspects of the club, both as a parent and administrator and a player. What what do you see? As some of the real strengths of Campbell as a whole. I just think it's a fantastic bunch of people. Um, yeah, you know, amazing and generous people with their time, who have a rare, I think, trait overall of being very proud of the club. It's successful, it is, mm. yet very humble people. And it's rare for anybody to have, a, you know, a, a sort of an agenda that's not in the club's best interest. So I think it's a very easy to community, a very easy community to enjoy because it's just people are working in the one direction. Yeah, I really grew up at the club and, yeah, there's there's so many people, you, you, you couldn't name all the people that, that contribute. I think, yeah, it's it's that even even contribution it's, from a lot of people over a long period of time is, a, is pretty much. Yeah, it's a really good culture and, and, I mean, as tenuous as that can be, it has had a long period of that culture remaining fairly entrenched but it's very easily lost as well, I suppose, if, um, you know, we let it go. And so you're like a lot of Melbourne supporters that have been involved with the Premier League team. There's, there's Roy and there's been Andrew Henderson and, and Mum. Mum's been mm. obviously a long-time Melbourne supporter as well. Um, you got a bit of joy out of watching Premier League over the years. Um, you could say it's almost your team now. Um, I certainly it's the case of uh, many. Um, what about the team? Obviously, aside of being um, a proud parent, what's – what about that team have you enjoyed so much watching? I, I think there's a real camaraderie amongst it, amongst the team. And you always get effort. So the team always turns up. And even on a bad day, you can sort of see the belief. It's palpable in the body language that there are always a chance. And maybe that's a, um, a consequence of the success over the years. But you always mm. feel like you're going to get a performance that, you know, it's befitting of a team that really plays for each other and that's great to watch. It really is good to watch. It, it's been great seeing Tim develop over the years and I think it's a unique sort of spot in it's, – it's, it's an elite team but it's also a pathway to AHL and representative hockey. But there's, there's a big range of age in that team, um, particularly, you know, people just leaving juniors but then there's also people in the national program and – or finishing the national program well into their 30s. So you can sort of get a 15 to 16-year age gap. As, as a parent and, and watching your son mature through that team, how do you think that's influenced Tim as, a, as growing up? Look, he's had a, a remarkable number of great role models through his time there and the coaching as well in terms of the passion. Um, with Rosie, Katie and, and Will has been just unbelievable. But you, know, you sort of think about the opportunity to play and be shown what to do by the likes of Lockie Dreyer and yourself, Steve Uncles, who have just, you know, top-class people as well. Um, so when he first arrived in the team, he was probably there was probably a bit of an age gap in previous years. There probably weren't too many people that are playing in the Premier League. But uh, he's gone from, you know, quite quiet and... Not not, so, not necessarily unsure, but um, just not necessarily believing himself at that level um, to a, a bit of a leader and a, basically an, an organiser of defence and potentially a mentor. He seems to be mentoring some of the, the kids that are coming through based on the experience he had where he, he sort of found 
it's sort of quite difficult to enter in with the, the gap of ages that were present at the time. So he certainly looks out for the younger guys that are coming into the squad, which, um, you know, is a credit to him. So, yeah, certainly leading in a quiet way generally. But, um, yeah, I've seen him grow grow significantly yeah. through the course of time with that uh, band of people. Yeah, it's, it it's, it's it's sort of that circle of life, isn't it? He's got Hendersons yep. he's looking after and Wandsbury's and things, but not not and and had and had others yeah, teach him in the same family, which is nice circle of life moments that you get. I suppose one of the the great f- fabrics of the club is people like yourself and um, being a parent and the volunteering of the parents. I remember when I first joined the state league team, there wasn't a great cohort of parents, but now you know that you see all the parents from the players. In heavily involved doing various things and um, involved. What you must have made some great friendships with some of the the parents as, as well along the way. Yeah, absolutely. And and obviously there's um, people that you've perhaps gone through the juniors with. You know, every second year, if you're a year apart, the mittens have been sort of friends throughout the junior days. But certainly, the, the more senior members of the team at the time have been most welcoming as well in terms of. Um, people coming th- through and the parents sort of followed those players. So, you know, the uncles or um, Ridlands or Webster's have been part of that scene for a long time, have been fantastic in welcoming us, welcoming us into the, the group and would like to do the same for others. Mm. And do you think do you think when Tim puts the stick up, do you think he'll still come and watch the team? I, I suspect so. I feel pretty attached. <laughs> so, um, yeah, look, I, I think I would see that as something I'd be doing quite regularly. Um, I do enjoy watching the sport and the game and it being played well. Um, and if they can maintain that camaraderie and team spirit that brought those other qualities we talked about before, I think it'd be pretty compelling to come and watch. As I've got older, I've a lot of joy seeing some parents and things that I used to play with. My contemporaries still coming even to this day, and certainly some of the premiership photos we've had when you have all the faces in the background, and there's 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 people from all different eras of the club yeah, that, that still come and watch. And I think that's that speaks speaks volumes. You might even get down there on Thursday night with that uh, red wine group. <laughs> who I, <laughs> who right. I'll not name. <laughs> that's right. Uh, well, uh, yeah, well, well, I will. So Terry and Terry and Alpa would love to have you, and they'd say it'd be the just a tonic to to get you back and on health. I think mm, absolutely. So Ray, Rosie asked you to do the videoing. You've been our chief videographer for quite a while. When when did he first ask you to to do that? I was trying to remember, and I'm certainly the 2013 year. I was um, doing it because I remember that grand final um, that stands out in my mind, but. Um, I don't think it was too much earlier than 2013, certainly seven years, yeah. Seven years, yeah, yeah. And it's pretty demanding, like particularly, you know, you've got a – there's a bit of discipline. I remember <laughs> a couple of the early ones, there was, you know, five minutes of George Baisley in the net and nothing else, but I mean George <laughs> yeah. wouldn't mind to have on him for a little while. But it does take a bit of discipline to be able to still watch the team that you enjoy watching but also um, – doing the job at hand is there is there is there any tricks to the trade oh i mean you're right it's very easy to get so involved in the game you get distracted um when just sort of feel so attached so i have had mind at times when my mind has wandered and i've been uh, the camera's been on the wrong thing but i think 
it's just doing it more and more regularly and um, trying to, I don't know, basically just keep focused on the game through the camera as much as I can. Uh, sometimes hard to see where the ball is if you're looking through the camera, so you're sort of constantly looking up and down between the two to try and make sure you are actually capturing some of the play and not the, you know, the sunshine or the, the netting at the side of the court or whatever else on the pitch. I was just going to say, as as, as the camera's uh, rolling, there's a microphone on as well, so there's you know there's always that to think about. And I think over the years we've certainly come to enjoy some of the commentary that as as the game's getting more tense. <laughs> I probably regretted some of the commentary as well. At the time, I do get heavily involved and um, I take umbrage at some things that happen and, and uh, I'm sure I've dropped a few people in it when they've been sitting down in their reviews of the, of the play and, uh, yes, yeah, said more than I should have about a particular piece of play or <laughs> something. But anyway, um, I don't think I've been cautioned or, or sort yeah. of warned off too many times for breaching a code. <laughs> but, yeah, look, it is hard to not say stuff at times. Katie would often cut a clip at the end after we'd go through that of maybe a goal that we'd scored and a particular goal celebration, which you'd, you'd, you'd potentially have uh, done, which was always quite uh, – <laughs> the team looked forward to that the, the most, I think, if, out of the whole uh, the game review was what was Phil's reaction to this or that. Probably overt. Become quite the cold hero. Yeah, it was probably too over the top, I would have thought, because I just do get so involved. And when <laughs> I was filming from the sidelines, you just – got immersed in, in what was going on. At least last year, sort of Will preferred the, the front on, the sort of the down-the-ground view, which put me in amongst the, the parents and spectators more so, and I, I tried to mind my P's and Q's a bit more. <laughs> I remember quite a number of cold nights up at the uh, State Hockey Centre at the top level there. It can be pretty <laughs> fresh up there, and I think you were always a bit half full and I was a bit half empty, I think, when we when it was played back on the on the video. You were still able to organise them from that far up too, Mish. Only if, only if we weren't going very well, yeah. It's amazing how much work goes into a game these days. Um, obviously, when Rosie took over, he was doing it all himself, and, you know, when there was... Katie, myself, and Rosie it was three people doing all the work that Rosie used to do. So, um, but yeah, I think from a player's perspective, being able to watch yourself and get that feedback is invaluable. And it was much higher quality having someone like yourself do it all the time rather than whoever was injured and um, leaving up to random players to do it. So it's, um, I think, all the Premier League guys have benefited enormously from having that as a tool week to week um, on YouTube to watch. It's, um, yeah. Did quite enjoy doing it, and I, you know, no, none of the players that were injured ever wanted to take the camera for some reason. So, like most things at Camwell, you've you've got to find someone that's, that's else to right. replace you. So you'll have to groom the next person if you ever want to hand it on. Well, I'm working on him. <laughs> he knows who he is. <laughs> well, anyway, I'm hoping to get back at some stage too. To be honest, I think yeah, I think we're we're looking forward to hearing the uh, the dulcet tones and mm. the the owls and the oos when the. Michael McLean or one of the umpires doesn't necessarily agree with uh, your interpretation of a stick tackle or a check. I have got glasses now though too, so I probably can be a little bit fairer on them as well. So obviously when you've been doing the filming, you've got to see a number of the Campbell players play. Who's who's your favourite players that uh, you've enjoyed watching over the years? There's a number of different players that I've loved watching for different reasons, so I'm not going to single out one. Obviously, incredible goalkeepers, Doc and Baz, have been amazing over the journey. 
Declan Garrity, I loved watching his amazing skills in close, the way he can dodge two or three people and still not move out of a phone box. He'll be, um, he'll be happy with that mention. He'll be happy with that. <laughs> Scruffy's pure athleticism, you know, its ability to break lines and his sort of just his graceful running style is fantastic. Aaron, obviously very stealthy in his stills. I love the way he used to sort of be like a cat burglar and come up behind people and, and steal the ball back, but also his work in the circle. When he dropped the hammer on a shot, he seemed to be able to do it from anywhere really quickly. Mm. Always thought TA was, had a ridiculous hand-eye coordination and his ability to play anywhere, but some of the traps when people were building the ball as hard as they can from a metre away, just sort of thought, how the hell would you do that? Yeah, I think um, he, he, and, he and Aaron are certainly in that era the best two ball handlers for sure. Yeah, mm. yeah. Stevie, Stevie, and yourself for uh, the leadership and just your professional approach for amateurs. The, the way you guys go about it was just ridiculous in terms of your preparation and and leadership. I thought I loved watching Dida TD for his extender arms and watching forwards sort of twiddle, twiddle, twiddle and run out of ideas before he just strips them of the ball and runs away with it. Um, Jimmy and Jacko, just their sheer work rate and resilience. Yeah. And um, look, obviously, enjoy watching Tim, but yeah. uh, his his strengths are probably more about the unrewarded running and positioning and organisation of defensive efforts um, and pretty composed on the ball and and we've had some amazing coaches in the time too with Rosie, Katie and Will. I mean, the amount they've put in um, with, you know, the, the effort for the reward is just really ridiculous in terms of how much effort those three have put in over the last, I don't know, is it 10 years? Um, At least, yeah. Yeah. Um, and just so professional as well. It's just been amazing to watch. And they've been great for the group and, and basically keeping the team and that culture going. Any any opposition players you've enjoyed watching? One that hasn't been playing for a while, probably Byron Walton was one I just thought was the heartbeat of Greensboro. of Greensboro when he when he wanted to change the game, he'd just go and do something ridiculous and just had the ability to do anything. So I just thought he was one that I'd probably seen through some of the juniors as well that just stepped up straight away in the seniors and obviously it was a loss of the game when he went to footy but uh, yeah always admired his work yeah we had a few uh, ding-dong battles with greens for the time and he was certainly uh figured in a lot of them for sure mm. I just always thought he'd step up when they needed him to do something he would sort of um, take it on himself to, to, to do it Obviously, I apologise to all the others that might be on the edge of that era, but I've got a fairly narrow window to <laughs> comment on in terms of players. But um, if there's people that have seen a lot more than I have, they'll sort of probably not even rate some of those in the conversation. But these are the ones that I've enjoyed watching. Well, you, you see it a bit differently through the viewfinder than you do necessarily mm. in the stands. So, yeah, yeah, you've got a good eye for it, yeah, for sure. And so you've touched on it uh, already, but... Um, Late last year, you've you, you got some bad news that that has come back. I remember seeing you just just after Christmas, and you you'd sort of started or about to start treatment. And I suppose coronavirus and and that was just really on the horizon. Uh, it wasn't really it was something we were all well aware of, but we weren't 
I don't think anyone really appreciated what was coming. And I thought this is kind of good to have you on tonight to really talk about it because we're all very keen to get back into hockey and get back into normality. But timing's everything with in life. You find yourself having to get up and go again, but this time also with the the added um, worry, I suppose, with, with with something like coronavirus in the community. Give us a bit of insight yeah, so to different how you've had to approach it this time around compared to last time and, before and, Christmas and how you're going. A bit more proven than last time. Um, obviously, 11 years on, it's, it's been a lot of progress in various treatments. Um, there is a stem cell transplant that I've undertaken as well, which is uh, one of those things that's the only cure that was sort of offered in terms of the, the two professors that I consulted about it. Um, you know, there's risk associated with that as well. But um, certainly consulted pretty heavily with the family about undertaking a stem cell transplant. And now we're day 22 since that. And um, so far, gone reasonably well. So, um, you know, feeling pretty good and the bloods are coming back. But mm-hmm. there's a period ahead of me that... Um, I'll have very little immunity, so I'm going to have to stay in a COVID-like bubble for quite some time. So from the point of view of a COVID timing, it, it certainly mucked up the logistics of the, the stem cell donor sort of having his cells collected and, and having them transported over here, which changed the process a bit. They had to come frozen instead of fresh and they had to be here before I started the treatment because... The risk of them not arriving at the mm-hmm. right time was just too high for that to happen. If you'd started treatment and they didn't arrive, that was basically, as my doctor said the other day, a death sentence. So, um, you know, so a few of those things have changed, but I suppose there's some, you know, from a perspective of a patient like myself, the whole COVID thing has made everybody so much more, more aware of transmission of infections and disease and so that the personal hygiene and disinfection use and all those sorts of things is, and the you know, distancing, social distancing uh, means that my sort of what I'm facing as a matter of course, everybody else has faced and so there's a, a far greater awareness of, of what's appropriate. So, you know, in, in a lot of ways, if I was going to do it, now probably wasn't a bad time mm. to to undertake it because of the you know if you've got your cells for donor from the donor then the hospitals are really wary of visitors you know numbers of visitors and have locked down to a great to greater degree and and the community at large is just so much more aware of yep. the distancing measures which are important for my ultimate recovery over the next little while. And what's what's the duration um, that they're telling you that you're going to need to have that level until your immunity comes back? What's the, what's the window? So they're certainly saying 100 days from the transplant are important, but the things like all my original immuno, um, immunisation aren't valid any longer. So anything that I've had, like measles, mumps, rubella, I have to go through um, vaccination again, sort of starting at six months for the right. the inactive ones, but the live vaccines I can't take until probably two years when my immunity system has developed. So there's, you know, there's probably various right. levels of isolation I need to have that um, are driven by some of those things. And you had to make a pretty hard choice too around who was going to 
and even <laughs> see you in the in in the last few months. You sort of had to split your kids down the middle. Yeah, I was led two two visitors um, only for the whole time I was in hospital. So given the COVID situation, I sort of uh, opted for the ones that are already living at home and were in danger of having to sort of change what they were doing or um, potentially bring infections from outside our, our closer family. So unfortunately, yeah, Tim was one that uh, wasn't on the list, which was, you know, so Di and Isabel were both living at home, obviously were the ones on that basis that were probably the safer visitors f- for me and, and wouldn't sort of um, necessarily change Tim's world too much in terms of his partner and her family, etc. So, yeah, a bit torn there, yeah. but anyway, it was just one of those things. And you were telling me there was a bit of history repeating. So you, you, you may not live this down with Tim, obviously, that there's – the second rung on the ladder in terms of the favouritism of the children. So you're telling me this is sort of something else that happened in your, your family and your family as well. Oh, <laughs> um, I, well, I wasn't necessarily going to go there, but I don't think that's true for Tim. But we, um, Dad was awarded a, an honour at one stage, um, and this is the one you're talking about, wasn't it, Mish? And that is the OAN yeah, story. Yeah, and um, he had two. Oh, wife and two other passers, my older brother and older sister got that. And then they met someone else who had four kids in the um, in the award ceremonies and he'd asked for two more tickets or his dad didn't feel it was appropriate to do so. So, yeah, look, I missed out on that with my younger brother. But um, I think I'll get over it eventually. <laughs> I don't, I don't think Tim. I don't think Tim will hold it against you. I think. Uh, I think he'd rather see yeah. you get back fit and well for sure. It's timely for all of us to to think about what we're doing and why we're doing it. And I think you know, in Australia, fortunately, COVID fight nineteen's been on the scale that you'd want it to be. So we've we've all been in lockdown and relatively safe. But it, it's it's. I thought it was appropriate to to talk to you, given that the sense that we're all doing this for people who are vulnerable to to infectious disease particularly and, and, and timing has it that you fall in that window and there's there's certainly others in the club like Anthony Yates and others that are in different different spots in that journey. But whilst we're all rushing to get back to hockey there's 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 bigger things at uh, bigger things at play at the moment. And look you certainly appreciate the time you have in between the, the two bouts. You know, you've had a fantastic ten years and you sort of really appreciate every mm. moment that uh, you get given and try and maintain a perspective about what's important through all of that. And it's been fantastic to be on your uh, CHC WhatsApp group and seeing all the positive steps and white blood cells count going north. So just thank you very much for being on the program and it's certainly a hard topic to cover, but I think given where we're at, um, it's certainly a good one to talk about. Um, And I know that the whole club's certainly behind you in, in wishing you all the best and, and, and staying connected with you to make sure that um, you, you, uh, you feel supported and we look forward to you talking on the uh, – cheering on the sidelines and commentating on the, the video very soon and back out there playing in the Acorns. Yeah, look, I really appreciate all the support I, I have had and both from the club and members around the club – and other people further on, the, the positive vibes and all that, really, you do sense it and you do feel it and it 
gives you another thing to keep pushing for. So, you know, sort of getting back there will be a highlight for me.